You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Aidan has been a peer of mine in the Social Impact Network for some time and has really impressed me with his considered, educated and sometimes really passionate articles in the medium and other mainstream platforms. I even attended one of his improv workshops some years back. So Aidan, welcome to the island. Hey, thanks for having me, Tony. I forgot that you attended that workshop. Yeah. Many years ago was, now. I think it was just before you went overseas. Literally weeks before you went overseas. It was one of the early iterations of the Social Impact Festival symposium thing. Yeah. Second floor Perth Concert Hall? No. Oh. This was a different one. Oh. Well, I've done a lot of them. Yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> so, Aidan, uh, let's introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us something a little bit different about you or something that you think is a little unique. Uh <laughs> I was trying to think of an answer to this one. Um, one thing I've, I've noticed I do, a subtle form of virtue signalling, is I buy the nondescript Coles antibacterial hand wash, but I put it in the thank you hand wash pumps. Ah, oh, okay. Um, I'm a very bad social enterprise consumer. I don't, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't buy ethical all that often, but uh, it's part of my persona. I need to give off the image. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, well, as you know, um, when you're on Max's Island, the whole purpose is for you to tell a story of that time where you did something a little bit different, a little bit crazy, or something you didn't expect that you would be doing. Um, it's just something that is you know, different to what your persona may be or what other people think of you. So, the floor's yours, or the island's yours. <laughs> uh, I was thinking that for me, an active choice is often when I cease to choose and allow my life to choose for me. That sounds very esoteric, but it's not as such. So I'm thinking in particular of uh, I took over this improv company, Only the Human, a little bit over a year ago. And it wasn't something I wanted to do. It wasn't something I imagined myself doing. And a lot of things seem to be pointing towards saying like, this is what you've got to be doing right now. This is your place in Perth in the world at this moment. But isn't that your one of your hobbies? 
Well, that's exactly it. I'd thought of it as like a hobby. Like improv's fun and games. Like I can make my forearm into a dildo. I can put a pink thing over my head and mime a clitoris on stage. But I'd just come back from Africa, you know. I was like, <laughs> it's like, let's solve poverty, you know. Uh, let's start a social enterprise in another country. So to go from that, those very high ideals about what I could do with my time... Uh, down to this kind of running this make-believe company that was just hemorrhaging money. Uh, it wasn't something I pictured myself doing. Wow, That's, that is really interesting. So what, what, led, uh, what led you to land into the situation where you took it over? So I, my general attitude towards work for the last five or six years has been don't get entangled, practice detachment, be a good Buddhist, don't get involved, no feelings, blah, blah. So I kind of entered into the company like very tentatively, dipping my toe in the water, just coaching one night a week and not going to many events. But uh, there had been uh, some issues raised with the past leadership and being the new guy on the block, or at least relatively new because I've been living abroad for the last 18 months, uh, a lot of the complaints seemed to come to me. So I found myself spending a lot of time sitting down, talking with people, hearing out their concerns. The company was losing a lot of people as a result. It was losing a lot of its best talent. Um, I had spoken to people that had moved country because of issues with the company, kind of becoming alienated from their community. So it was a problem and I felt like I was the person in a position to solve it. Uh, so I ended up taking over as director after it a couple of months of fighting with myself about it. Have you ever been in a situation like that before where you've had to take over an organisation or felt the obligation to run an organisation because nobody else will? Interesting. Not that I can remember. I think my, my practised attitude of selfishness, detachment, mm. uh, enlightened self-interest... Gen generally tried to steer away from situations like that in the past. I can't remember ever having done this sort of like... Yeah, I, I can't remember having done something like this before. Mm. So, did you know where to start? Once I started, it was easy. I'm actually having a blast running it. Like, uh, I've run a small social enterprise in Tanzania before, so getting it to like a, a level where it was sort of self-sustaining and helping retain some of our existing members. Ever since I kind of just gave in and gave up on the idea of myself I had as someone that wouldn't do something like this, I've really, uh, really taken to it and I'm really enjoying running the company. It's great. So what does the company do in terms of, um, does it just Schoolwork? Or oh, that's, a, it, that's a great question. That, that, yeah, it was, <laughs> you know, teach St George's Terrace corporates how to improvise? Uh, not too much. No. Um, that is something that we would like and hate to do. No, it's something. Yeah. It probably is something good for us. So the company is called Only the Human. Uh, it's an improvised comedy slash theatre company. Basically what we do is we teach people how to make up theatre completely on the spot. Uh, just drawing on kind of a loose set of skills and philosophies. We run a mixture of public classes, so for people that want to jump into it, first-timers. 
we get a lot of people from a corporate and professional background that want to be able to think more creatively, think on their feet, you know, probably not dissimilar to the kind of people you get interested in storytelling and yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, and then we also run like community events. So the idea being that like, if you love the art form, you can do drop-in shows, you can do drop-in classes. If you want to, you can put on your own show because it's all improvised and there's no set, there's no script, there's no development time. Uh, it's really easy to put stuff on. So it's really engaging as like a hobby and as a community to be a part of. So I think of us as kind of a community development organization. We try and promote the art form and then that entails a whole range of activities that we need to do. So were you based mainly in the city or do you get out to the community? Uh, we're most, mostly based in Subi and people mostly come out to us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd love to do more in you know, other parts of Perth. We have done some kids' workshops in Mandurah, but that was a while ago. Just trying to really kind of consolidate folks on what we're doing at the moment. So you mentioned your, your time in Tanzania and, and working around social enterprise and, and teaching people over there how to um, solve some social problems and building commercial entities and, and those sorts of things. How different is this? <laughs> it's, it's a world of difference. I think chiefly one of the main reasons I elected in the end not to make a life out of living in Tanzania or running social enterprise development projects abroad is that a lot of the ideas around social enterprise and that, are, although we think of them as non-ideological, they are culturally situated. So my idea of what a social enterprise and a business is is very much rooted in my white Western background. So it was something where I was very happy when I left Tanzania to hand over the business. We made reasonable menstrual hygiene products, women and girls, to hand that over to a Tanzanian and to say, do with this what you will. Like, this is yours now. I no longer want to say in this. Uh, and, and I realized that from, we had sort of a, a comparable business, business that was running in Nairobi. We were based in Arusha, which was northern Tanzania. And the one in Nairobi was run by a Tanzanian woman, uh, a Kenyan woman rather. And uh, the way that she ran the business was so different to the way I ran it. It was so different. So that there were similarities between running this social enterprise, this comedy company, and that social enterprise in Tanzania. The similarities probably just bubbled down to the fact that they had the same <laughs> graduate center for social impact white guy graduate running both of them <laughs> um, and they should be more different than they actually are so in the end I think definitely here is the the place for me um, although I did love my time over there mm. of course so as a uh, creative art form what do you see the the opportunities with improv I, I'm, I'm really interested in that you know I, I do my storytelling and I do mm. storytelling workshops and I'm always looking for those opportunities not necessarily to mainstream it, but to get connection with mainstream activities, with organisations, companies, and, and get it into their, their narrative and their, their internal rituals, mm. and, and it becomes natural. So where do you see improv um, going beyond just being a, a hobby that you go to one night a week and have a bit of fun? <laughs> it's so interesting. That hesitancy that you had with, like, mainstream it, but like mainstream mm. with a caveat. 
is very much how I feel about it. So, look, the if this were a PR exercise, the short answer is that, you know, it's around overcome your fear of failure, learn how to be more creative, learn how to be collaborative and interact in real time with other people, learn how to listen, empathize, all those things, all those skills are great. We have a lot of people coming doing the classes for those reasons without us ever really having pushed it as a product that can solve those problems. So there, there is that answer. But then there's part of me that with improvisation in particular, it's, it's a creative form of play. And play by definition has to be something for which there is no particular desired outcome. It's pure subjective self-expression. So the moment that you instrumentalize it, you do lose a little something. So for me, if people want to work with us, great. Um, I have no interest in making it into like a mass social technology. Uh, and personally, I have a lot of um, I have a lot of beef with people that have this interest, some interest in some consulting practice or something. And then suddenly around it, there's all these institutions and schools and, you know, you go to the conference in Latvia once every year and it's, this is going to revolutionise the world, blah, blah, blah. I'm a little bit over revolutions. Uh, I'm just happy playing with my friends and if anyone wants to enjoy, join us, they're welcome to. Uh, but I, I don't see myself as the uh, bearer of a flag that is trying to... <laughs> Um, spread improv across the corporate world or any world, really. That's really interesting because that's where Max's Island is at. It's my creative outlet to to just do something creative. And with, isn't with it no purpose? Isn't it better? Just, yeah, it it's is. so it's much just, better. Yeah. Because the moment you make it like, oh, this is my storytelling, and I'm going to use this for business development, and I want to present this at conferences, like oh, it's so much stress and. I think improv is great, but like if your thing is team soccer or if your thing is mini golf or if your thing is going and sketching people in public, whatever, just do you. Do something creative. Yeah. I think improv is great, but I wouldn't push it over and above other creative exercises. I just like people getting out of the house. Yeah, good. So I'm going to ask a real social impact style question here about scale how do you grow an improv group is it just simply having more people come and stick mm. and become part mm-hmm. of the group mm-hmm. um, or is it, uh, it it's what is it? yeah it's an interesting question something that we've really started to deal with lately i mean yes for us probably one of the main metrics is people joining and then wanting to continue to enjoy playing so not just doing a class but then sticking around we have just started to embark on a bit of a outcomes measurement thing like because we've had so many people come and take the courses for professional and personal reasons i personally got into it just because it was fun and i like doing make-believe and i've got peter pan syndrome but to hear that other people have come at it for other reasons i do want to find out what those are so we can measure those a little bit In terms of scale, um, improv companies have thrived around the world as non-profits, as social enterprises, and as businesses. At the moment, we are just structured as a private business, albeit one that doesn't make much money. And I'm not sure long-term what the best kind of governance business model for us is. I'm just treating it as 
something to emerge as we kind of amble along. At the moment, the membership's growing. You know, we're able to pay a couple of teachers to teach the classes and cover venue hire across a few locations. And for me, that's enough for now. We can just keep doing this until something changes. So, Aidan, what sort of people do you get coming to your classes? You know, do you get a, a good cross-section from the community um, or is it, you know, a particular cohort of people? I think we get a good cross-section, but it's not perfectly representative. So there was a period in, in the history of improvised theatre where one of the kind of ambitions for it was for it to kind of be a truly representative working-class form of theatre. Uh, because it's improvised, people were, for example, doing shows inspired by the day's headlines. So you could kind of have this real-time social commentary that you know was responding to the needs, fears and anxieties of the general population. Uh, it's also its comedy, which by its nature tends to appeal to, in my opinion, a more diverse crowd than um, high society theatre. I, I don't know that there's any data to back that up. That's just a sense. So anyone out there is free to dispute at will. <laughs> we do track diversity measures and we're trying to do better. Uh, a lot of it comes down to what's the kind of company's DNA. We definitely want to promote diversity, but part of the question is then is, you know, what is diversity? Obviously, we, we want to be represented across, you know, we want a good representation of different cultural and gender backgrounds, but, uh, you know, then do we want people across diverse professional backgrounds as well? Do we want professional and non-professional? Do we want people that are there to become professional comedians or do we mostly want people that are there for personal development or... And you know how it is with social impact, you kind of get what you measure. And if you try to do everything, you end up doing nothing. Well, you set me a bit of a challenge here, just listening to you, because there are a few of our listeners, and you know who you are out there, who know that I have a great interest in listening to a whole range of comedians. Mm -hmm. I have my favourites. Some of them are a little irreverent, and um, I listen to them in my own headphones and keep it there <laughs> but i but i do have this hidden desire not de maybe not desire but thought that could i do some sort of stand-up comedy ah, so perhaps ah. my first entree should be to do your next workshop uh, i think that'd be great tony i think that'd be absolutely a great idea if you want to do stand-up though i have some stand-up recommendations for you i just want to touch on something there though those you mentioned those comedians that you listen to and maybe you're not willing to disclose who they are. Comedy is in such an interesting place at the moment. And this is something important I think that we're doing, but I don't quite know how to quantify or name it, which is the core of comedy has always been transgression. Uh, you, you establish a certain situation and then the moment of transgression is often where the comedy occurs. It's, sometimes it's transgressing social norms, sometimes it's subverting an expectation that the audience had uh, going into a joke. You set up one thing and then you have the punchline, which kind of challenges the setup. And the fact that comedy is meant to be transgressive, but now uh, people like you and I, people who identify broadly as progressive and on the left, uh, we've become the new moral police officers. We're the ones that say what you can and can't say. So I think there's this really interesting question now of like, what is the thing to be transgressed? 
and I don't have a good answer to that. But I do think you need transgression. I don't think you can. I don't think you can police everything, uh, every thought, every belief that people have, and not expect it to come up somewhere else. I liken it to if you have like a bubble in the carpet, and you say that's not okay, so you push down on the bubble, the bubble just pops up somewhere else. So I think therefore comedy has a really important role to play uh, in finding safe ways to express our more transgressive and out there thoughts. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I, I do think there's some liberal West Coast American comedians who are pushing that, that transgression barrier because they are strong liberals. They are um, with strong liberal values and, and, and are really concerned about the individual and about um, equity in, in the world and poverty in the world and all of those things. Yet at the same time, they, they are not falling behind a, a curtain of political correctness mm. that actually shuts down any opportunity to, to discuss an issue in a humorous way. And so they're pushing some of those barriers. And I think there's a, there's a challenge there for, for comedians to actually, you know, just get that balance. And, um, and, and because I, I do agree that in the general um, nat- well, a lot of narrative around on social media and the general media, it, it is polarising and you can't be in the middle. But I think there are some occasions where you can come into the middle. That's really interesting. Uh, I would love to see the successful centrist comedian. Uh, often what uh, liberal liberals in American liberal, progressive liberal comedians are doing is the, the transgression is the stigmatisation of, you know, the right, the kind of... Yeah. The, the, the sort of idiot middle America voter. It's uh, very easy to... You can kind of get away with making fun of bogans in a comedy context. But just to bring it back a little bit as well, this kind of realising this sort of enormous cultural power that comedy has has been part of what's made me really excited to kind of be involved with this company. Um, and I will say... I think transgression is important, but I also don't want this to be a defense of, uh, you know, all of the comedians out there who are very powerful people. They're privileged, you know, white, male, um, non-disabled, and for whom the transgression is to just continue to put down people that have not had a voice. So, you know, in the community, we really value having those diverse voices and seeing what their transgression, and you know, what how to kind of get them to say the things that maybe they don't want to say. <laughs> yeah, and one comedian who I really, really love, and, and he's, he's a West Australian, uh, a guy called Brendan Burns, and he is, uh, you know, lived in the UK for 20-odd years, is now located in LA, I and mean, he talks about the ability to punch up. Yeah. And that's the, the, that's the best comedy if you can punch up as opposed to punching down or even punching sideways. Yeah. And, and that's the challenge. And, and that hopefully deals with what you were talking yeah. about, you know, picking on Midwest yeah. Americans or Vogans or that sort of thing. Because <laughs> exactly. that, that is the easy fallback. And, you know, it takes a little bit more skill, perhaps a little bit more thought to punch up to yeah. something and, um, and make it funny. And punch yourself. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. I, I mean, particularly for me, like, I open with the thank you hand wash thing. Like, oh, I mean, know your own flaws and turn that into comedy. Notice the ways that you're not a great person, but you're still human. Yes. 
that's also what I, I love about improv in particular is because we're encouraging people to be uh, in the moment, uh, responding from a more intuitive place. We tend to see a more truthful version of themselves, more so, and you see the version of yourself that is more you than your ideas about yourself. When you see stand-up, when you see scripted theatre, you're seeing a person's ideal ego version of themselves, them as they imagine themselves to be. When people improvise, you're seeing them a little more in the raw. That's a great uh, invitation for me to come along and improvise in the raw. Fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <laughs> so, Aidan, uh, look, thanks very much for, for joining us on the island. We went down a particular path but have come back and landed in a really interesting area, one of my favourite places, talking about comedy and, <laughs> and something that you know, you're, you're obviously well across. But before we go, give, give us a plug for your improv troupe and what might be coming up in the future and what other, some of our listeners can, can, how they can get involved. Yeah, listeners, I didn't intend for this to be like a sales pitch, but now I'm looking back going, oh, hang on. Uh, but that's it. If you've had a good time uh, and you'd love to give improv a go, we are running a free class on July the 24th. If you just Google free improv Perth taster and look for only the human, we'll come up. Uh, it's, it's a real blast. And you come once, if you don't love it, uh, tell your enemies and get them to do it. Interesting, Aidan. I actually saw that on Facebook and I've earmarked it, so you'll see me there. Yes, great. <laughs> so thanks for joining us on Max's Island. No worries. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having me. We'd spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life Each day was a blur Oh work and no play And how, how it had turned out this way He told me his plan A short-term escape Five weeks on the bibbling track Go it alone, no one to blame If he finished Fell by the way No one's an island But sometimes it's good to pretend Go for a hike Your burden's just on the black Walk on the beach Imagine you're sailing away
Every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone and nothing. 